Hello again, and welcome to the Rare Possessions Podcast. This is Nick Galetti, and with me is Jared Riddick. Hello, hello. And uh, we're going over the book Joseph and Moroni from Legrand L. Baker. We're now on principle four, entitled Sometimes Prophets Must Make Their Own Decisions, which does seem a little like an interesting turn of, of approach in the sense that before we were talking about integrity as being keeping God's commandments, but here mm-hmm. we're all now saying the counterbalance that prophets also sometimes have opportunities where they are supposed to be on their they own. need to walk on their own steps. And uh, this goes back to the uh, prophet is not a puppet that he talked about earlier in the book. Actually, this is the chapter, I believe, where the quote comes in. Ah, I mixed is, things uh, up chronologically then. Is a, a prophet is not a puppet. And uh I thought that that was an interesting section of this this chapter or principle because, again, we were talking about that, but now we have this counterbalanced idea. But this is also where Legrand introduces the idea that this book is about becoming a prophet, which is very different than becoming the president of the church. Mm-hmm. And so a prophet, again, being someone who has a greater ability to have the spirit guide and direct their life through revelation. And that's the goal here. Yes. So I, I, I got a, a comparison here that I think you'll really appreciate. Oh, dear. So as I was reading through this, I thought, huh, he talks about Joseph and the unique challenges that he faced as being the one that now finally has the golden plates. And I said, it felt a little like the ring bearer in Lord of the Rings. He was this, this lonely, unique responsibility, um, but that that Joseph and Moroni were were record bearers of the golden yes. plates in a similar way. Just like Frodo, and I hesitate to use this analogy. <laughs> you need a Sam. Um, <laughs> and he goes he goes into this. I knew this was going to happen, but I love it. Um, but he goes into this, and it's actually good. The Moroni, as one who had wandered alone himself for 36 years, knew it was not good for someone to be alone. And he encouraged out Joseph at the beginning to involve Alvin his old, eldest brother, but Alvin passed away, not two months, I think. Yeah, it wasn't too much the, longer. After yeah. the initial visit, and that he found the companion that he needed in his in his wife, Emma. And this is... And was actually commanded to bring her with him. Yeah. To retrieve the plates. That was necessary mm-hmm. in order for him to get the plates, was to have that companion. And I, I find this section to be, again... I don't want to keep reiterating this caution too much, but again, this book prepares some interesting history that I don't hear in many other sources. And in this particular case, we have a unique story of uh, of a Miss Chase. Miss Chase, and I and I had heard of this one before, not specific with the name, but people in the neighborhood that were seeking after the plates, that wanted the gold for themselves, that thought since Joseph had found some treasure, he was obligated to share it. And it actually puts Joseph Searstone... Uh, use of the seer stone into context because other people are using in the case of miss chase a uh, green glass people are using uh, rods what have you to try and find the plates and the thing is they're finding them they're or they're finding where they just were right and so saying okay there's something behind this in the culture right jo- and that joseph was able to sense danger also by looking into the stone into his stone to identify trouble. So there was an interesting thing here where, uh, as it, we were going through this, I went back to the original source, mm-hmm. Mother Smith's history in this case, to learn that as part of the background of this Miss Chase, that her, I think it was her father, that was a Presbyterian minister. And he was kind of one of the leaders of this 
band of people looking for Joseph's gold Bible and that they had engaged the services of a conjurer. That's their word, a conjurer to help them in their search and finding the gold plates. Yes, Elver Morney still had a, a class in the I, 1830. I, I That's a Harry to, Potter yeah. reference for those who don't <laughs> yeah, know. Yeah, we're going way geek on this one. <laughs> yeah. But it's interesting though, because again, we're talking about people who viewed what Joseph was doing on the one hand as of the devil. Mm-hmm. Some people just viewed, you know, the ministering of angels is done, all this kind of stuff. And then you had a group of people that seemed to embrace even even religionist people that would embrace conjurers and it's a, it's a use very of these artifacts to it's find a very it. interesting mix yeah. that you get in that t- this time period of of the local folk magic and of religion yeah the syn- uh, the syncretic thing so where it says prophets must make their own decisions as th- as the principle is here um, he he had to learn to make decisions about a number of things and we're going to go into that more in principle 5 when we enter with Martin and Lucy Harris because there's a lot of Joseph learning how to make his own decisions navigating that but Emma was in effect Joseph's decision mm-hmm. and uh, that's an interesting reflection of of what is important in specificity and where God allows us our own choices and so there's a lot in that and uh We'll just go ahead and jump right into Principle 4, a reading of that chapter from Joseph and Moroni by Legrand L. Baker. Enjoy. Joseph and Moroni, The Seven Principles Moroni Taught Joseph Smith by Legrand L. Baker. Fourth Principle. Sometimes, prophets must make their own decisions. Joseph goes to the hill the third time. Moroni told Joseph that he could not embark on this great adventure alone, that when he came to receive the plates from the angel, he must bring someone with him. Who? Joseph asked. Alvin, your oldest brother. Alvin had been a strength to the young prophet from the first. If there was anyone in this world Joseph could trust, it was Alvin. Notwithstanding that trust, Joseph could not tell anyone everything. The things Joseph knew must have imposed a dreadful loneliness upon the young man. He needed someone who could believe what he said and not demand that he say too much. Someone who would accept and love him as a person and not expect that he always act the part of the Elijah bringing down the fire prophet and sage. There were many things Joseph could not tell. It was as though he were required to walk alone. Moroni had been alone and he apparently understood how important it was that Joseph have someone who would walk beside him, even in his aloneness. It must have been a great comfort for Joseph to know there would be someone else he could depend on and trust, and that the angel would approve of such a relationship. But Alvin died, and his death left a dreadful void in Joseph's life. When Joseph climbed the hill to see Moroni, he really was alone, and the angel would not let him have the plates. Joseph Knight, one of the young prophet's most trusted friends, tells the story. When Alvin died, Joseph did not know what to do, but when the 22nd day of September came, he went to the place where the book was buried, and the personage appeared and told him he could not have it now. But the 22nd day of September next, he might have the book, if he brought with him the right person. Joseph was no longer a teenager, and it was time for him to find a wife. She must be worthy and willing to come with him to the hill when he received the plates. She must be as noble as he, and it was necessary that he find her and marry her 
before, not after, he was entrusted with the plates. Joseph asked the angel, Who is the right person? Moroni replied, You will know. A prophet is not a puppet. When one sees the years in which Joseph tried to receive the plates as a single experience, one discovers the formula that may be called how a boy became a prophet, not how to become a president of the church, because that is a unique kind of prophet, but how to become a prophet in one's own life, to ourselves, our families, and in whatever else the Lord asks us to do. Joseph had learned the first three principles, and they are much simpler to say than to do. First, learn to tell the difference between the feeling that comes with the Holy Ghost and the temptations from the devil. Second, learn to tell the difference between the prompting of the Holy Ghost and one's own desires, whether they come in the form of emotions, enthusiasm, fear, wanting to go with the crowd, or even sometimes one's sense of what is okay. That second principle is more difficult than the first, because it seems to strike at the very essence of one's self. But if one can learn to do that, then one becomes free to follow the Spirit. Third, in Moroni's words to Joseph, you will know. God expects one to make intelligent, well-informed decisions. If those decisions are incorrect, then the Holy Ghost will sound a warning. But prophets do not just sit and do nothing until they get instructions. The whole purpose of the first two rules is to teach one correct principles so one can make intelligent decisions until one's own sense of right and wrong is consistent with what God understands is good and bad. Moroni taught Joseph to be a prophet, not a puppet. A prophet and a puppet are not the same thing. When our sense of right and wrong is correct and embedded into our personality, the consequence is happiness and security in our relationship with God. A major purpose of the Holy Ghost is to facilitate an understanding of oneself by oneself, so that within the full scope of one's own strengths, one can make and act on correct decisions, knowing always that the Holy Ghost will sound a warning if the decisions are not correct. When Joseph began to look for a wife, he had a great advantage. If Joseph Knight is correct in his account, the young prophet looked into the Urim and Thummim to find out where to find Emma. That he did so is evidence that he had access to the Urim and Thummim and had learned how to use them a long time before he got the plates. That he selected his wife to be that way is evidence that he trusted the Lord. That he loved her and she him is evidence that the Lord loved and understood them both. Joseph's Final Preparations to Receive the Plates On January 18, 1827, Joseph married Emma Hale and brought her to Palmyra to live in his parents' home. Moroni, like a good friend, had apparently kept out of the way while Joseph and Emma were falling in love and beginning their life together. But, also like a good friend, he understood what to do when the time came to bring Joseph's attention back to his mission. The angel chose to do that on an evening when Joseph was alone, walking along the quiet country road near the hill Cumorah. Joseph had set off early that morning to do an errand for his father and was returning about supper time. As he passed the hill where the plates were buried, the angel was waiting for him. They talked together for about three hours that night. Moroni chastened Joseph because he had not been engaged enough in the work of the Lord. Joseph said Moroni told him that the time had come for the record to be brought forth, 
and that I must be up and doing and set myself about the things which God had commanded me to do. Moroni also told Joseph that he should make another effort to obtain the plates on the 22nd of the following September. What else was said during those three hours, Joseph does not say, but that conversation made a deep impression on the young prophet. He described it to his parents as the severest chastisement that I ever had in my life. Yet, in that same conversation, he confidently reassured his father, Give yourself no uneasiness concerning the reprimand which I have received, for I now know the course that I am to pursue, so all will be well. Those words, as his mother records them, are a key to young Joseph's personality. Now that he knew what to do, he would do it. Since he would do it, Since he would do it, all would be well. One sees great strength hidden amid the unpretentious strains of that declaration, for indeed, that is the ultimate declaration of one's own independence. For this young prophet, knowing what to do, and all will be well, were equivalents. After that long visit with Moroni, Joseph resolved to be up and doing. From this time forward, he continued to receive instructions concerning the coming forth of the fullness of the gospel from the mouth of the heavenly messenger until he was directed to visit again the place where the record was deposited. As before, there was a condition, the one Moroni had written in the book itself. Joseph must not show the plates to anyone until the translation was completed and Joseph was ready to return them to the angel's custody. When that time came, Moroni promised Joseph would be permitted to show the plates to a few people whom the Lord should designate. Joseph promised. This time, notwithstanding being subjected to a great deal of pressure to break the promise, Joseph obeyed. He showed the plates to no one until Moroni instructed him to do so. That was only a slight variation on the first principle Joseph learned, that one does not speak too openly about sacred things. Joseph receives the plates. Shortly after midnight on September 22, 1827, Joseph and Emma Smith left his parents' farm and rode together to the foot of the hill Camorra. Emma waited in the carriage while Joseph climbed the hill alone. When Joseph neared the top, Moroni met him and entrusted the golden manuscript of the Book of Mormon to his keeping. As Joseph accepted the plates, Moroni cautioned him again. A paraphrase of that caution, deliciously spiced by the accent and idioms of his mother's own rural New England culture, is given in Lucy Max Smith's history. Now you have got the record in your own hands, and you are but a man. Therefore, you will have to be watchful and faithful to your trust, or you will be overpowered by wicked men, for they will lay every plan and scheme that is possible to get it away from you, and if you do not take heed continually, they will succeed. While it was in my hands, I could keep it, and no man had power to take it away. But now I give it up to you. Beware and look well to your ways, and you shall have power to retain it until the time for it to be translated. Joseph recorded a promise from Moroni, If I would use all my endeavors to preserve them until he, the messenger, should call for them, they should be protected. Joseph knew he would receive whatever help he needed. Joseph took the plates and carried them down the hill, until he came to a large birch tree, dead and fallen to the ground. He carefully cut the bark of the tree, turned it back, and made a hole in the decayed wood. After hiding the plates inside, he replaced the bark and camouflaged his activity by covering that part of the log with whatever lay nearby. Then, without the plates, he returned to the carriage where Emma was waiting. 
It was early morning before they arrived at the Smith home again. Joseph's mother had not been able to sleep that night. Before she went to bed, Joseph and Emma had already left the house together, and Mother Smith knew where they were going. Years later, when she wrote her history and recorded these events, she vividly recalled her anxiety. For three successive years, she had watched Joseph's disappointment in obtaining the plates, and she felt she could not bear to see him disappointed again. She spent the night in prayer and supplication to God. Joseph and Emma were gone longer than she expected. When they did return, his mother saw that Joseph did not have the plates, and her anxiety got the better of her. She trembled so with fear that he might have been disappointed again, that she felt compelled to leave the room so he would not notice how upset she was. But he did notice. He followed her into the kitchen and said, Do not be uneasy, mother. All is right. See here? I have got a key. He handed her the Urim and Thummim. She recounted, I knew not what he meant, but took the article of which he spoke in my hands and examined it. He took it again and left me, but said nothing respecting the record. The Urim and Thummim were Joseph's communication system with the heavens. His mother records that he kept it always about his person. He used it not only as a learning tool, but also as a kind of alarm apparatus. With its help, he could ascertain at any time the approach of danger, either to himself or to the record. Joseph's not-so-friendly neighbors were very aware that he had been trying to get this golden book. Hunting buried treasure was a popular pastime in New England in the early 1800s, and some of his neighbors were determined to get a share of the treasure as soon as Joseph found it. It is not surprising that Moroni was concerned that Joseph had learned to be very cautious. As soon as he was able, he removed the plates from the hollowed-out log and locked them in a box that he had buried under a loose stone in the front of the fireplace. However, that hiding place was not secure for long. Joseph's enemies attached themselves to a Miss Chase, who had a green glass through which she could discover the precise place where the plates were hidden. Several times, Joseph moved the plates just before she and her followers arrived to search, but each of those times, only the previous hiding place was discovered, and the plates remained safe. Joseph and Emma moved to Harmony, Pennsylvania. While he was under the constant pressure of trying to keep the plates from being stolen, it was impossible for Joseph to bring them out long enough to work on their translation. Consequently, he and Emma decided they would take the plates and move to Harmony, Pennsylvania, where Emma's parents lived. That decision created a new problem for the prophet. Those same people who were trying to steal them from his home would probably stop him and search his wagon. He had to find a way of transporting the plates on the wagon without making them vulnerable during such a search. He and Emma were taking a barrel of beans with them to Pennsylvania, and Joseph created a secret compartment by making a false bottom in the bean barrel. He hid the plates in the space between the two bottoms of the barrel, and then filled the rest of the barrel with beans. His precautions were justified. They had gone only a short distance when a determined band of ruffians caught them and searched the wagon. After what must have seemed to Joseph and Emma to be a very long time, the men left without discovering the secret compartment. The plates remained safe, but that does not suggest they overlooked the bean barrel. The simplest way to search it, without emptying out all the beans, would have been to move a sword blade back and forth through the beans to feel if the sword struck anything hard. If that was the way they examined the barrel, 
The would-be thieves did not notice the distance from the top to the bottom of the barrel was shorter on the inside than the distance from the top to the bottom on the outside. They assumed the barrel contained only beans. When Joseph and Emma arrived at Emma's parents' home, Joseph removed the plates from the bottom of the barrel and took them into the house. Later, after they were settled into their own home, Joseph kept the plates wrapped in a muslin cloth sitting on the bureau. Emma frequently moved them to dust, but she never removed the cloth to see the plates, a fact which says a great deal about Emma's personality and integrity, and which in turn says a great deal about why Joseph loved her and why she had been chosen to be his wife. Thank you for listening to this edition of the Rare Possessions Podcast. We are featuring Joseph and Moroni, The Seven Principles Moroni Taught Joseph by Legrand L. Baker, published by Eborn Books. For more information on this book and other items in the Book of Mormon Central archives, visit archive.bookofmormoncentral.org. <laughs>